Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Well, hello there. It's the 100th episode of FIA Goes PC. And as always, I'm your host, Rob Zen, a.k.a. Danny Hale. And uh, yeah, 100, 100 reasons to keep listening to the uh, the old podcast. Uh, as it goes on from here, it's going to be harder to scroll down. Awkward on a lot of uh, these here iTunes-y, Spotify-y, soundcloud things. Uh, anyway, that's all irrelevant. We're going to go into why, why, and when, and what's going to happen to Project FIA which is the kind of show that we do on YouTube now. It was on Amazon for about five minutes and a yak. But now it's on YouTube and we have this kind of accompaniment, which is our podcast to the show. Uh, Yeah, it's all silly. It's going to be a silly episode. And speaking of silly, because she's proper silly, really, behind the scenes and in front of them, is our producer, Winifred. Say hello. Hello. You're silly, aren't you? I am not silly. Not as silly as you are. I don't intend to be silly. (laughs) It follows me around like a stalking spectre. No. Yeah, that's a hard thing to say. Uh, Yeah, so Project FIA. Right, well, a lot of people don't understand, firstly, that it's got nothing to do with Formula One racing. Because I think there's a team FIA. F1A. Yeah, it looks like an I, though. It does. On most fonty, texty types. We've got nothing to do with Formula One racing. We could have something to do with Formula One racing if we knew a lot about it. I don't. I just know that it's a formula. It's the first formula. And uh, they race it. Are there math formulas involved? I think they get in go-karts and they hold beakers of chemicals which is a formula. I mean, it makes sense because it's physics, right? And it's the first one who gets to the end to give the formula to someone else. I think that's what it is. It's a scientific race. It's kind of like Mario Kart (laughs) with beakers of liquid. Okay. It could be the pandemic origin. Uh. Who knows? Maybe someone spilled something. (laughs) Hey ho. Uh, We're nothing to do with that. Obviously, we're not very clued up on what that is. Um, there's a lot of French involved in racing, isn't there? Like the Grand Prix. Mm. Big prize. Not pricks. Pardon? <laughs> the Grand Pricks. Oh, is that when everyone chases you with noodles? Yeah. And try to stab you with them? Mm-hmm. It's not the best thing to stab you with a noodle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bit floppy, especially <laughs> if it's cords. I don't know where we're going. Anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah, 100. It's extremely sunny. I'll just set the the tone here. It's immensely sunny here in the old forest. And uh, being in the fact that we're in a treehouse, you might hear a bit of a buzzing through this episode. It's because I've got the fridge on to convince me that it will make the room colder. That's why you're hearing a buzz. It's either that or I've trapped a bee somewhere. I don't know. Alternative air conditioning. Yeah, like ghetto. In a treehouse, air conditioner. I'm not even sure how long it's going to last because we only have a generator, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is mostly squirrels rubbing their knees together. It's strange when you live off the grid of most maps. 
which is basically the ocean. Are we not on a map? I don't think so. I haven't <laughs> noticed when I look down on the floor, it just looks like grass. Uh, if I'm on a map, wouldn't it have lines and lines and lines? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So anyway, if you were wanting to listen to a podcast about Formula One racing, sorry, I think we've covered that. Bye. <laughs> no. Off they go to find no, it. That's what you do as a spectator Relevant. to it. Eh, bye. Eh, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a weird thing to watch. Is yeah. a motor racing in a stadium. Yeah, well, I'd, be, I'd be half tempted to get on a bike and just chase after the cars mm-hmm. to have the full experience, <laughs> especially at Monaco. Mm-hmm. That's actually really cool. That's my favorite. If anyone cared, no, that's my favorite. So anyway, we're not going to talk about cars. We're talking about the namesake. No, I was just, I was just of this podcast. It's, it's kind of like treating the wounds of a lot of people <laughs> who've come in and out, thinking we don't know anything. They've about already it. left. <laughs> yeah, Lewis Hamilton might, might I add. Does sound like a clothing brand, doesn't it? Or a hotel chain. I'm staying at Lewis Hamilton, or I'm <laughs> buying a jacket from Lewis Hamilton. It does a bit. Yeah, it's like the Hamilton chain of hotels, or the Lewis Hamilton chain of bags and mm. clothing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So how did FIA start? <laughs> right. It started quite a lot like this. We were just talking and random things happened. Um, basically, setting you back to 2006. When was there? Just about. A long time ago. Yeah, she just stepped out of the spaceship at that point. So University. Earth, Earth was new to her. Yeah, well, you call it university, <laughs> I'll call it the mothership. And uh, as you were blossoming in this real world, <laughs> I interrupted it with madness. And long story short, Project FIA began in Los Angeles, 2006. Won't tell you why, don't really care. The reason that it started is we were hitting a frustration point in the filmmaking, which is our kind of day job. You wouldn't think about it from the way we talk. But we actually do serious things sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Just sometimes. (laughs) Once or twice every millennia. It was kind of a reaction because we were trying to pitch a film uh, pretty much a packaged film. Why? By that I mean script was done, there was treatments, there was a short film that we were adapting to make it a full feature. We had what we thought looked solid rather than just an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but little did we know, that's not enough. So we were getting kind of frustrated and I realised there was a loophole in Hollywood back in the day where you could probably... This is kind of pre... TMZ, and this is kind of just after Jackass, mm-hmm. which some of you might remember MTV show called Jackass, that kind of era. So I was thinking what we could do is kind of pull a stunt show where it's kind of half documentary about life that we're living and half sketch show, if you will, and we present it as a kind of YouTube show which at the time didn't even exist, really. It was more like, here's a cat and here's a guy falling off a ladder. YouTube was. It was very... The the industry hadn't really noticed it yet, right? So it was early fringe YouTube time. It was indies and... It was fringies, which I call them. I I, I think indies is misleading because when you hear the word independent film now, it just means a studio doing it on a 20 million budget as That's opposed true. to a 150 million budget. Yeah. 
Even though when you think like an independent shop is like just non-affiliated, in films it's not quite like that. It's kind of a studio label. Yeah. Whereas it used to actually mean two guys got a camera, like a bunch of sticks and made a zombie film. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Which is how I learned film in Mm. film school years ago. So basically FIA was an expression of kind of creating chaos a wee bit. And also explaining to anyone who's thinking that you can just fly off to Los Angeles from anywhere in the world, set up base, everyone on take note, and you're special, and blah, 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 because everyone thinks that. We knew that we weren't special, but our doctors gave us a certification that we were. <laughs> so there was something special about us. Um, <laughs> I was surprised they allowed me in. But hey-ho, we basically hit this thing, and... One night we were in uh, our little apartment out there with a friend of ours from England called Chris. I'm just going to say Chris because I don't want to attract too much attention to him. He's probably wanting a normal, calm life this day and age. So uh, I won't shine a rainbow on him too much. But basically, all three of us were out there from the UK. You being sort of resident LA, but hadn't been back there for eons. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we set up a kind of concept which we were just trying to sell. It was literally a sell job and we were trying to find help. And then I was trying to convert this idea to the back of my mind. And what put it all together was Chris had brought out a uh, DVD when they were a thing. Because yeah. now they're like 4K Ultra swanky pants. Blu-ray. Uh, mm-hmm. Solar panels, uh, alternative <laughs> fuel system. They talk back to you because Siri can answer. All of this kind of malarkey discs back then they were called dvds and they weren't high def flashy well some of them flashed (laughs) if you shine them at the sun Uh because it reflected uh but um it was a robin williams stand-up comedy gig live at broadway which i believe is in new york Mm. last time i checked there's a lot of broadways but it was broadway the broadest way (laughs) you can go In New York. And one thing that he was saying, which seemed to just hit the spark that lit the fire for me, was there's a whole bit he does. I'm not going to ruin it. So if anyone has access to Robin Williams, I'm sure you can probably find it on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, that thing that I keep referring back to. Um, But he had a philosophy for pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Which abbreviates their fire. I'm not going to say anything more than that because I made a pledge me and the voices in my head that I'd only swear in real life, mm-hmm. but not on the podcast. Um, We're very clean here. Yeah, it's just after this that I developed Tourette's and start <laughs> ranting at the fence. Yeah. Um, so what he basically said was pharmaceuticals that have all of these side effects... Mm-hmm listing on for hours and hours and hours if you're in america right now you know what we're talking about it's one of the only probably three countries in the world that advertise pharmaceuticals and it's always one of these strange videos where like you know a guy's walking a dog Mm -hmm. and then it's something like chronic face falling off syndrome or something (laughs) like this we can stop your face falling off with you know easy spas or something like this i don't know and easy spas will fix your face from falling (laughs) off Um, But Robin Williams uh, was saying, why don't you just group all the pharmaceuticals into one pharmaceutical and have it done, you know, and then like a like a super pill, like a super pill that cures everything and and gives you all the side effects 
And Possibly. it would be called? <laughs> it would be called something that abbreviates the FIA. FIA, F-I-A yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the origin of the actual FIA brand. And back then, we turned that into a philosophy. An attitude. So literally, yeah, if no one's listening to you, just FIA it and, you know, do it, basically. Yes. So all the craziness in LA... Cause any given time you're in Los Angeles, if you're there for longer than two weeks as a tourist or whatever, if you're really in the in the machine, I think it takes, on average, an average normal-minded person three months to go completely mental out there, <laughs> um, especially if you want to get in the industry. Yeah. If you go out there and you want to run a burger shop or something like this, mm-hmm. you're not going to go too nuts, okay? Your employees might, but if you're there for something that's non-industry you'll find it an amazing place. It'll Mm -hmm. just be subtropical, full of crazy, creative people. But if you're there trying to get in the industry, three months and you're completely nuts. So I went along with the wave of crazy and we partially documented stuff and we partially explored ideas of sketches. You know, for example, episode two. I'm not going to ruin episode one. One day we might show it on something. Who knows? Who knows? It depends if I've lost my will to have a career or not (laughs) um but episode two just to set it up was actually we went to las vegas at a time in the morning that i knew las vegas would be shut because something americans love to say about vegas is city that never sleeps Mm -hmm. and i was convinced it slept Mm. because you can't operate and what we found is we arrived there at four in the morning we drove all the way from la to vegas which isn't it's not a small trip no for most Californians, driving to Las Vegas seems like, yeah, we can do that in a weekend. That's the thing we do. But for anyone in Europe, it's obscene, you know, because you can just get a plane. Mm-hmm. It's like a 40-minute trek on yeah. a plane. It's eight hours by car. <laughs> and pretty much all your scenery down there is you go from city, 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 bit of green, desert. Desert, mm-hmm. desert, 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 Las Vegas, right? So not a lot to see. Oh, there was a water park. There was an abandoned water park. With no water in the middle of a desert. It was a closed, abandoned water park. It was an idea <laughs> that possibly never should have existed yeah uh, hard to get water to the desert uh that's kind of that's an evil cruel thing like if you're stranded in the desert and you're looking for an oasis and then you suddenly find this water park <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore but all the slides are there oh, you're like oh they must have water no yeah. no alas they do not and there's a place called barstow nearby that yeah area. yeah and it has the 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 tallest uh thermometer in the world and is opposite a cypriot restaurant that claims to be the best cypriot restaurant in the world in the world in the world world famous in the middle of a desert so world famous that no (laughs) one's ever heard of it of course (laughs) this gives you an idea that a documentary of craziness and stunts writes itself in america that's Mm -hmm. why america is fantastic that's why we love it that's why we've returned to it and we've based a lot of our projects over there. But it's really kind of, um, it was kind of an accelerated moment in, in history as far as creativity. Because I used to have an improv background in Los Angeles, had one here in the UK. And basically, I'd never thought about the city or the states or then cross state to tell a journey that would be so helpful to improvise comedy because all of it's funny. Mm-hmm. 
especially from a European perspective, because I don't think there's a Cypriot restaurant in Cyprus that would claim it's the world's best. <laughs> we don't act like that in Europe. Yeah. It's almost like if you go to sort of an extremely established restaurant, they don't need to tell you. Yeah. Because you walk in there and you feel like you don't belong, <laughs> you know, because everyone's kind of uh, got gloves and things. I think the European attitude is a little bit more understatement, you know? I think it's either that or we like to downplay. Yeah. I think it's our culture to, even if something's good, tear it apart and <laughs> rinse all the value from it. Whereas in the USA, it's positivity, right? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of they're finding in cynicism and negativity that they're being weirdly world famous about it. Like, you've got a riot, but you didn't have Seattle happen to you, where the entire city came to sound. So that's America. Mm. It's bigger, better, broader, whatever. It's Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. And, and the FIA project kind of crumbled and fell apart. There's a lot of reasons, mostly because we had to protect our integrity as uh, filmmakers. <laughs> yeah. But we'd learned enough from it. I yeah. mean, if we'd have pushed on with it, I think it would have been too controversial. I think there's a way in LA that you can th you easily tip the balance. Self-destruct. Yeah, because it's easy to get caught up in the emotion of like, no one's listening, mm -hmm. so I'll make them listen. Yeah. And then you realize there's actually decent people running these studios and you're making yourself look like a terrorist in a, in a sense you know because you're trying to destroy everything or rebuild it or whatever yeah it's a bit megalomanical even from the ground and i just wanted to have a bit of fun but what we were finding is um where my mind was going people couldn't catch up like yeah. you and, and chris at the time had no experience of the industry not really hands-on and I'm gliding through it, like trying to link everything together. We had a few stupid examples of how this was going wrong because we tried to assemble a dream cast for the film, the legitimate film that we were pitching. Mm -hmm. And you messed up the address by getting it wrong by one house. <laughs> and just to set that one house, it was literally foundations with a bunch of like scaffolding all over it because it was being built. So we incoherently set up a, a, a meeting with A-list celebrities. A lot of agents did respond. So we'd mm -hmm. obviously got through in what I can tell you was basically a unbuilt house. I think we terrified the agents. <laughs> well, I think the insistence terrified them. The energy was really raw. Yeah. And so FIA basically, to wrap that up in a nutshell, the origin, the genesis, the... The, the um, seed. Well, not even that, the blueprint. Mm. The blueprint. The concept. That's the best thing. The concept, the the um the energy of it mm. started basically as a kind of warts and all look at Hollywood, Los Angeles in particular, and what it really is, you know, and what the actual city really is. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible. Without the rose tinted glasses. Yeah, it's incredible actually because it's taken, so that's 2006, and it's taken only the pandemic, really, to reveal the levels of craziness in LA, the homeless situation. Mm -hmm. It's really bad over yeah, there. The, 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 the real problems that the city has that yeah. we kind of always glossed over in favor of looking at where Tom Cruise's house was, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. In a way, it could wake Los Angeles up to be a way more rounded place. It could actually do what I predicted back in 2006, where the industry will just be offices. Mm. 
and that it will ship out to actually make the movies in places far cheaper. I honestly hope it all comes back to the crazy kind of pool of creativity that it always was, and it bounces back as a kind of 70s revival, and it becomes an extremely exciting place to be again. Who knows? But that's the origins of FIA. It was kind of a way to say, right, well, if you're not going to listen to us, we'll make ourselves the biggest commodity in the city, and you'll have to. Mm -hmm. That was the idea, the intent. Using YouTube as a tool, a lot of social media, stand of uh, street team, promotion, and all of this stuff. Like a cult following, almost, you know? But it fizzled out, and, and probably a good thing mm -hmm. it did. Because I think, I think having that mantle would have been really hard to do anything serious ever again. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing to look at <laughs> look at it now. <laughs> it's not embarrassing. I think it was, it was uh, too... I didn't know what I was doing. Sure, so, but I, I think the message between the original one, because we're saying this to a lot of listeners who have never seen it, but... I think the message was too extreme, mm. right? It was a bit too on point, I feel. And we were really young. Well, I've never really been uh, young or old. I'm just uh, systematic. It's okay. the world that moves on. <laughs> Time's only a concept. It's the it's world that moves on and I still play with He-Man figures. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so... There was a break, and then we got into serious filmmaking, did a few projects, blah, blah, blah. Ends on Kim Fall and Star, come back to the UK, wrap it up. 2017. Mm -hmm. So solid 11 years later. I was looking at sort of doing a project that was comfortable, that was easy, after doing a massive film project in, in LA for Amazon that was three years of our life. It took yeah. three years to make it. A lot of traveling. It kept popping back from Hollywood to Hong Kong, back to Hollywood, to Hong Kong, back to here, mm -hmm. to Hollywood, back to here. That's pretty much the journey. Yep. And it was just a lot of work. And I think that you can you can have two thoughts. You can keep the, the uh, iron hot, mm -hmm. right? And have another three years of your life going to another project. Yeah. And... Basically risk your sanity or you need a time out. And anyone who's done anything creative, and this is really a European edge of doing it, but there's kind of a crash week we have here. Yeah, decompression. Yeah, where you can go, kind of go a little bit mad and do loads of goofy little things mm -hmm. and then get back into something serious. Well, that's what Project FIA became. It became a goofy little thing that we'll do in between the big things, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But there was no concept this time. There was no reaction this time. When we were in LA, the city was making a project. Yeah. So the actual site-specific nature of the project had a it just had a story that could tell itself. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're trying to get famous. There's a lot of people trying to get famous. There's a lot of people who were famous, screwed it all up. That was all there. Yeah. What's so on there the was, ground? There's so much content. When we were looking at when I was looking at rebranding this. We were in the UK. We hadn't been in the UK for at least six years at this point, like properly. Yeah, not for like a, a long stretch of time. Yeah, there was kind of a two-week visit here and there, but there was never a... A year or We're going to be here now for a <laughs> base for a bit. And so I was looking at the situation like I'm getting in... It's a weird feeling, folks. If you've ever been from a country and then left it for so long that when mm -hmm. you come back, you feel like a tourist, it's an odd feeling. It's like this weird curve. And so I'm looking at the advancements and I'm looking at where Birmingham is especially had changed so much as a place. 
It was still more or less the same. But there was more of an international energy there. There was more folks turning up from every corner of the globe. Therefore, it became an international city, mm -hmm. oddly. Because before that, it was all of us ancestral types uh, that, <laughs> that just knew each other. Well, I always joked while I was in university, Birmingham being the UK's second biggest city, um, it feels like a big town. Yeah, because... Compared to Hong Kong. <laughs> well, anyone who's never been to, to the UK, I set it up like this. Uh, London's where the budget went, <laughs> yeah. and as you go north, it's less and less. So Birmingham, I think they just basically threw the tax breaking money out, and they threw a couple of skyscrapers up mm -hmm. and a fountain. Nice. Uh, and then by the time you get up to sort of York, it, I mean it's where the Vikings were. It's so the history for for Yorkshire and York especially. It's pretty much the Viking London. That a budget. But everywhere in between sort of suffers, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's an it's a fascinating place because cities across the UK now are blossoming. Yeah. There's a lot of work. Manchester, Liverpool, especially. So much has changed over the past ten years. It's crazy. It's crazy. Birmingham hasn't changed in scale, mm -hmm. but it's got a lot nicer, a lot more mm -hmm. uh, architectural. A lot of changes happening that have taken probably six years yeah. to even build like you get used to china where it's in six minutes <laughs> yeah. and now it's here like we're going to take our sweet time building a library it's going to take about four years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a bit radical but you know like there was an energy in birmingham that was palpable it felt almost like we saw in 2015 when we left los angeles we saw the dip we could see back then folks that there was a cynicism wave change People were less positive, more critical. There was a little bit more tension in the air. It did feel like something was about to go nuts. This might have been coincidentally because tax had risen again. Mm -hmm. And by this time, the tax in LA was so severe, yeah. it's almost like your paycheck's a tip yeah. for paying tax. <laughs> you know, it was completely ludicrous, still is to a point. And so the, the whole atmosphere, I feel like we took the last real chunk of the time that you could do what we did and as soon as it was done post-production had the premiere we were like it's gone it's wrapped up it's yeah. pretty much gone yeah. we did go back once for two minutes and a heartbeat and it just was gone it really was um it, it was one of these really sad stories that you spent i'd spent personally 12 years going to and from there and I remember getting to LAX that last time. And usually I get to LAX with this back of my mind thought, I'll be back in how, however long. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I know I'll be back. Mm -hmm. This point, I was like, it's, it's, that's it, really. And I got excited about going to the UK. Hadn't seen it, nervous and excited. It's a massive flight. It's almost like 16 hours long. And by the time I hit the UK... Uh, you kind of enter the UK through several layers of cloud. Yeah. And after being in LA and Hong Kong, I, I didn't recognize what that was. I was like, what's this mattress? <laughs> and you come down, it's not smog. It's just cloud, okay? Because <laughs> we like to conceal our islands. So it's like Wakanda, only a lot more, you know, RP. Oh, don't look at us from the skies. <laughs> See, they've tried to spy on us for years with satellites. Don't work. Because of all the clouds. Got cloud cover. Even on a beautiful blue sky day, there's still tons of clouds that you have to pass to land in the UK. But you notice two things, man. You notice fog, foggy cloud, 
then it seems to go on for an hour as you you, you kind of go to heaven on untouched out okay. because it's just white outside it feels like you're in a weapons room in a matrix what? it's literally just pure white and then when you land it's just green mm -hmm. that's what really hits you it is very green. it's amazing and you, you kind of come back to this and embrace the cold because you've forgotten what that is and it, it you know you could be in the, the height of summer and it still feels a little bit nippy as we got into the uk established here one thing i was noticing is that there's a lot of possibilities there was a series that folks we've talked about in the past, but Peaky Blinders was now set, mm -hmm. and Birmingham was on the spotlight for being involved in crime back in a period piece that doesn't exist because the history of it's completely different. But hey ho, hey, uh, filmed in Liverpool and Manchester, not even filmed in Birmingham because no. Birmingham's <laughs> improved and modernised to the point now where you can't look at it like a dejected old Victorian <laughs> city because. All of the Victorian buildings are kind of not there anymore. There's a few that are. It was a fascinating thing. There's a lot of spotlight, a lot of interest, a lot of potential. A lot more uh, creatives as well. Yeah. Making and, Birmingham their base. Well, it's the thing, because in Los Angeles, the Project FIA brand was all about interaction and improv comedy in the street. A little like if you take something like Borat, so you're in character. Yeah. And then you, you're talking to randoms in the street. A little bit like they've adopted in all the late night chat shows in America where they do street talks. Yeah. I think Jay Leno started it probably because we were doing it. I'm not I'm not even bigging myself up. No. We we had a lot of eyes on us when yeah. we were doing stuff. But I really think someone someone who created TMZ heard one yeah, of our yeah. pictures because we were was, pitching. There was everywhere. a lot of what I would call strange coincidences. coincidences yeah. yeah. But basically the idea of the original one was audience interaction in character. Sometimes you're interviewing a, a person that could have a view and you could strike a topic. Sometimes you're just interviewing a homeless guy and finding out how he used to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's all there for you. It really is. You can bump into a celebrity. In fact, we did. I bumped into Heather from Numerous the Blair Witch times. Project and, and a few others who I was trying to instantly get on a mic. <laughs> because that's how I. Yep. You don't even have to be really uh, journalistic. It's all there. That's where the industry is. Whereas you get to the UK and I'm thinking, well, if it was all about film, which is kind of our thing, we're in the film industry, that's what we're doing. The UK has none of that, really. Mm -hmm. Like, I can go to the streets with a mic and I'll either be stabbed... <laughs> Right. No, no, don't It depends. It depends which streets audience. I'm in. I'll either be stabbed <laughs> or I'll be arrested or I'll just have a lot of people go, I'm sorry, I don't have the time, goodbye. You know, there's the, the field of vision in the UK for, yeah. for anything like this high energy that you get in California just doesn't exist. Mm. So to create it, I needed to do something smarter. And so I'm thinking, right, well, what can we do in the UK that's really UK? based so my brain went to literature my brain went to as it always does in the uk one of the biggest selling points we have in this country is if you strip away you know football hooligans uh, chavs uh east end gangs whatever it is you strip all of that away that's not really what people think about when they come here pride and prejudice big you know stately homes in the country castles Lord of the Rings, yeah. fantasy, fairies, wizards, owls, Narnia. all of this stuff, right? It's kind of like the origin point of so many things, like RPG games, video games, you could argue, are there because of Tolkien. 
Mm. You could argue that a lot of, uh, well, AD&D for sure is yeah. advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So everything's an evolution state. And so England and, well, the UK as a whole is extremely special to be the origin of fantasy. Mm-hmm. It really is. And so I ignored all of the silly stuff. I, don't, I can't really do your Pride and Prejudice series <laughs> without laughing all the way through it. So I thought, right, what I can do is I can base the UK and find that sense of documentary and find that sense of, I guess, sketch Mm-hmm. within reality so really take the idea of what reality tv is and now we don't have this incredible circus they call los angeles uh to base an adventure in we have to create the adventure yes so we're gonna have to find places weird places wonderful places and interact with them in a kind of creative way so it's really the places not the people the places mm-hmm. and then the cast has to link to something that sort of links to the idea that we're in the UK. So go through all of your classic novels and thoughts and stuff like this. And then it occurred to me, one of the biggest things that I realized when I got back here was that social media was in overdrive. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the USA was charged. Because at this point, it's foreshadowing Donald Trump. And everyone was charged politically in america but they were still relatively nice to an american they're like we weren't nice we were outright horrible to each other but that's your levels of horrible in the uk you would read anything like i just had a burger and then someone would shoot it down like that's not a burger that's a friggin' rock everything was an insult like and it was so vicious in social media that was my determination to shut it down i could not handle facebook Mm -hmm. i've just been in the heart of the Trump war in the USA. Yeah. And I'm now in the UK and it's worse. It's so bad, I can't deal with it. It literally took a decade though, because 2006, that was like the year Facebook, well, 2005, six, that it started. Yeah, no, it's, so it's, it's taken but that's, but it, years it, it to was evolve. also like the, 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 the thing I'm trying to say is really just how insane the focus of social media was in the UK specifically. It's always been, or building up to be globally yeah. quite a, sort of an extreme thing. Mm-hmm. But the UK, it was so hostile. I've never seen anything like it. All the trolling. Just, not just even trolling, just like outright shooting everything down. Everything's not good. You can't even do a good thing without criticism. You know what it is? It's kind of like how a lot of people run to Gordon Ramsay for the insults. Like, I made this plate of yeah. paella. What do you reckon? Yeah. And he's like, oh, wouldn't even throw a dead rat on that, you know? And it's it's that level of jovial kind of banter that we do in the UK, mm-hmm. but it's complete cruelty yeah. if you're not from here. Yeah. Like sometimes Gordon's kind of winding people up or testing their resolve yeah. or their passion. He's not actually trying to be he's mean. Not, he's not being mean. Yeah. Like to an English standard, that's it's kind of... It's tongue-in-cheek. It is. It's just extreme. It's intense. To an American, that's like the most devastating supreme discipline you've ever heard it's like it's like a drill sergeant yeah to us it's everyday walk in the street our male people are like that like when they're posting your mail mm-hmm. you know like we can have banter like that mm-hmm. like oh so you didn't dress in your best again or something like this <laughs> it's just the way we are here 
right? <laughs> As you open the door in your pajamas. Yeah, like, and you know, the amount of time a male guy here gets, like, from the guy that he's given a package to, oh, you, when are you going to get a real job? You know, it's stuff like that. It's very England, you know, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, we're all the same, but, and even Ireland, really, Republic of. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, like, I notice how vicious it's probably because I've been away from it for so long. I've been away from the UK edge, mm. the sharp edge, the hostile edge <laughs> for seven years. I mean, I'm just going to wrap it up. Like if you're an American in high school, what you consider bullying, we consider in the UK best friends. Yeah, that's pretty weird. And, and just to see the psychological difference, mm. most people who are bullied in the USA could go into like mass murder territory or something like this if they've got other things wrapped up into it. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't seemingly, it doesn't take a lot. I know there's some strong Americans out there, but you know what I'm saying, folks. Mm -hmm. We always get the international news. We always hear all of these incredible criminal things and high school shootings. It's really sad and tragic. You don't have that in the UK hardly anywhere near as much. I mean, it's almost every decade we might have something, but it's not routinely. It's not every single 10 minutes, right? And that's the reason, because bullying here has to be so cruel it's off a scale. You, you won't even recognize it in the American spectrum. It just won't register how bad it gets, right? And so it almost feels like in the UK that you become this hard shell. Very thick skin. Very, very thick very skin. Very stiff upper lip like, into that as that's, well. <laughs> that's, and so when you're not, because when you've lived it, which I did, I was raised in it and yeah. all of this stuff. When you've lived it all your life, you don't even know. Mm -hmm. You don't even know. And then you have an international friend say, and they spend five minutes with you and just see you as an observer, how you interact with other people. And they're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> get me out of here, right? Um, looking for their exit, really. Or it's just completely a culture shock. And you see a lot of cultures mixing, right? So international relationships where, say, you had this perfectly honorable Japanese man or woman getting with a typical British guy or girl. And they just change overnight and become a yob. I mean, that's that's how it is. You know, and I'll sit there instead of being all this courtesy and all this. For someone that's had the honor structure of Japanese culture, they can now sit there without trousers on. Just stick their know. pants on their heads. I didn't know care. what a yob was until I met you. Exactly. And I, there's probably a lot of people. It's just a term for hooligan or, yeah. or uh, scumbag, whatever you want to say. But anyway, so the edge was there and I'd missed the edge. And so I, I was just really horrified. I was really horrified. And everyone was obsessed with telling you their thoughts on Donald Trump and all this stuff. Even in the UK, it's got nothing to do with us. But a lot of people in the UK were so harsh. Like, finally, America gets to see what an American looks like. Stuff like this. Everyone has an opinion. It's just so crazy. Like, you know, a lot of people were in pure anarchistic joy over Donald Trump in this country because he represented monster trucks and all kinds of crazy stuff that we've come to associate with America. I mean, that's only probably not even 15% of the USA, mm. you know, but as a culture, as a huge culture. It was a weird time, and obviously a lot of British people have joy in trying to get a rise from Democrats in the USA. So if you're liberal and you get on the internet and there's a whole bunch of British people on it, you're, you're doomed. And that's all I'm saying, because they've got this eloquent way of destroying you, right? Now, I'm not being weird, but I will set this as a point. A lot of it 
is cross-European mixing with American consciousness for the first time ever outside of tourism? America's, America sends tourists here, right, mm -hmm. in droves, and we send Europeans to American droves, and it tends to be a culture of politeness and giving you the best. Yeah. You very seldom see a typical British family, even in Florida at Disney World, because they can't afford it. So when they turn up, they're kind of, I wouldn't say the best of Britain, but they're better than what you would find throughout Europe, yeah. European holidays, right? Yeah. Some cases you might have the odd one or two and they go, wow, I didn't expect British people to be like that. Now that's the American perspective. Mm -hmm. Americans come to the UK. Here's what we know. Most of you go to London and that's it. Mm -hmm. You'll use London to get to France and beyond continental Europe. And... You will also get lost in the underground system. It's guaranteed. You won't have a clue what's going on. Your underground systems, metros in the US, they tend to be a lot more simple. And so the London Underground, which is, you know, Victorian in its premise, very confusing. Lots of lines, lots of whatever. Can I just say, Tokyo's underground network, the metro, makes London look like you're just getting a one-rail system. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything that convoluted, but we'll get to that in a bit. So I'm setting a scene and I'm trying to think, well, what can I do here? Because I don't want to crown interact when I know that there's going to be this turn of cynicism and everyone's going to be like, can I, can I see Cameron and run off with it? Because that's Britain, right? So I was thinking, right, wow, if we make the city and places in the city a character, and also if we try and do something that doesn't really require us to talk to people. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm, instead of just doing predominantly the host and myself, which I did in the original one, yeah. and interacting with my team, say the camera guy or Winifred, I need new people. And so this was all back in my head. I didn't even know if I was going to do this or revitalize the Project FIA thing. And then we, we go out for a meal to brainstorm what we're going to do after Kin. And lo and behold, we meet Pete, who was a waiter at the place. And I had this instant vision because Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, who you might know from Spaced or Shaun of the Dead or about a billion other things that they've done together. Comedy tangent, mostly written comedy, though. They're not like going out on stage doing no. stuff. But um, Pete was kind of like my Nick Frost meeting. Mm. And the interactivity we had, him being away to me being relatively stupid, fresh from LA, <laughs> so full of Californiaism and energy, you know, it just balanced really well, right? Mm -hmm. And so it opened this world of possibilities. So I thought I could bring Pete in. And then the next meeting was, you know, video game shop Shaq. A lot of people have heard this through the podcast, how we met, because we've discussed it with both Shaq and Pete. Yes. But then it spawned this construct where Project FIA could actually be an elusive title. FIA doesn't have to stand for what it stood for originally, mm -hmm. but it has to have the heart of that meaning. Yeah. So now we can change what the FIA means in every series, should we keep going on with it. And this is when I thought, right, well, Shaq's all into video games. And he's kind of like immensely street savvy. So he knows what all the cool kids are doing. And he, he's, he's young and he's like very in tune. So I was thinking, well, we'll call him the Urban Oracle because that's exactly what he is. Mm -hmm. He knows what's going on. He can foresee certain trends and things like this. Word on the street. <laughs> and he's totally about technology. Yes. Wanted to be a programmer. Actually wanted to be an animator. And he wanted to get involved in film through effects. 
So it's like, well, let's give you an example of what it's like and see the if game you can, design yeah, and... see if you you can get your your foot through the door somehow. Just get a taste for it. He didn't expect, and I didn't expect for him to be a host, but <laughs> I kind of dragged him into that role. Pete, however, was just like, yeah, I'll do anything. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, just give me a beer and I'll do it, yeah. kind of a deal. Yes, let's. <laughs> yeah, and and Pete's one of the best representations of how Britain can be positive. Mm-hmm. You know, like all out, don't care. There's no reservation. Yeah, yeah. none, yeah. zero. It's all, it's all, <laughs> it all there. Um, but basically, that's the combo. And and Pete was telling me about this story, half drunk couple of days later when I tried to talk to him about the ideas I was getting for the project and, and bring it to him as a host because I sort of wanted him to be the right hand man of the comedy mm. so there's a kind of simple rule in improv comedy it's basically the Osaka comedy rule where you've got the straight guy and a nutter yeah and the straight guy is basically just playing off the crazy now one thing that Pete is is just as mad as I am so we take it in turns. He'll be crazy one minute, I'll be straight the next, and then it'll flip. And that was really unique, really, as, a, as an experience, you know. Just talking to him and seeing how we kind of automatically were in sync mm. with ludicrous ideas. And um, I had this story from him. He was telling me he had his favorite place, the Bristol Pair. And he goes, you know, I've got this huge sort of 18-foot unicorn that you can inflate. It wasn't quite 18. It was like six foot. I'm just bigging it up. Sure. It sounds better. And he was just telling this story about this unicorn. And I'm like, that's what I'll call him, the unicorn slayer. Because at the time, when we'd started out late, unicorns became this symbol. We're beginning. And, well, out there, it was already very much a thing. It was pretty much everything went unicorn crazy. Starbucks was doing a unicorn frap. You could just see unicorns everywhere. And I'm like, how the hell did this happen? This mm. is all a bit mad. But not in the It UK. hadn't happened in Europe and it hadn't happened in Asia at this point. Yeah. But it happened in America. And principally, and I know this is going to sound ludicrous, but my brain operates, always operates on America first as an audience. Mm. It's no, it's, I'm not slandering my own nation. It's just that I, I'm more in tune with America. I know that they can sort of follow what I'm doing a bit better than English people. We're we're too reserved here. And when we get to entertainment, usually in the UK, it's after an extremely tough life. (laughs) We've told you about the fact you've got to basically be made out of rock by the time you're four years old. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to, say, 30s, you don't want to really watch TV. You know, people have an extreme, so they'll watch tons of horror films or violent stuff or whatever just to get it in, right? kind of nuts before they go back to being the brunt of jokes in their entire peer group you know that's Mm. that's life in the uk some people do the same thing comedy romance tragedy it's you know it's it's linked like that the usa is the connoisseurs of entertainment yeah they're they're eating everything like pizza it's all good man like just everything right and that's what i like because california set me free being british you go there you can almost go, oh my God, I can do, I can really do anything here, you know? (laughs) I can like let go of my shield. No one's going to give me a hard time, you know? Like, whoa, what's going on, you know? And suddenly explosions of creativity happen. Possibilities. Yeah, and it's such a special energy there. Mm. It really is. You can be anywhere there. It's a special energy. It doesn't matter if you're in LA or if you're in Atlanta. It doesn't matter. There's just a, there's a wildness about it. 
It's a very different attitude. But there's so much good, you know, like you don't get that kind of education here. Here we're literally just trying to make ends meet. <laughs> Filmmaking in England is literally like approached in the same sort of sentence as NASA. Everything's approached to an extreme. You've the got to it's like know your scene, know it. <laughs> you know, it's like you're a forensic scientist to be a director in the UK. Know your scene, know what, what everything about your scene, know where the dust gathers, know where it sets. Everything's insane. I did like three months trying to operate a camera to get an exact perfect zoom, right? Because it was real to real, yeah. You know, so a film camera. And we were wasting like 50, I don't even know, five grand's worth of film doing this. But no one had let us pass unless we had this doorknob lit perfectly. That's how extreme it is. In LA, not so much, right? Everyone can have a wild idea, go out there. You don't even, you've never used a camera before. It doesn't matter. You're a filmmaker. You're a filmmaker. You can just be one. You've got a phone, right? It's so different. Now, so 2017 is still a period piece, right? Because then there wasn't a kind of global symmetry. There was still a division. What is LA? What is Birmingham, UK, right? So the, the idea of FIA then became three guys, each representing a different thing. And I thought of it as a uh, video game, right. mostly because of Shaq. Shaq would be in a video game equivalent, the mage, the wizard character which is always a character, say in mm -hmm. Diablo or something like this. You always have the wizardy character. Yeah. He's the guy that knows a lot He's about the law, probably and... the weakest of all of us as far as Physical exposure queen. to dragons and stuff. He can't fight them. <laughs> he has to stand back. He can heal you. He can boost your stats. He's that guy. He can throw fireballs. I'm not saying that Shaq couldn't handle a dragon. I'm pretty sure he could. <laughs> yeah. But, you, you know, you've got to play a character, right? Mine was the kind of thief, the rogue, the, the, the miscreant, because he's the cheeky guy. Mm -hmm. He's the one that sneaks around, steals all the treasure, and then stabs a few things and leaves most of the heavy work to the other guys. Goes out as a sandwich. Oh, you need me? I'll be there in a bit. <laughs> right, that dude, stealthy guy, right? And then, so, yeah, the thief, the rogue, the assassin, whatever, that ilk mm -hmm. in the RPG. Pete's obviously the barbarian. <laughs> Being a unicorn slayer. Brute force. Says so the is the boulder, the rock, the shield, the, the warrior. warrior yeah. That's it, the stat. And that was the envisioned thing that I had from meeting these guys in the place they worked. It was completely ludicrous, right? So that's also why the names exist. Mm -hmm. Rebels then is something I'd carried before. It was a tag name I used because it's kind of like the idea of Zen Buddhism only being a rebellion to it. So you're almost Zen in your rebellion. And FIA is a rebellion, mm -hmm. essentially, from status quo and alternatives and stuff. It, it basically, I am the alternative in what I'm presenting. If it be film or if it be music or if it be whatever I do, I'm trying to give you that kind of punk rock energy, that anything is possible vibe. And so the brief was kind of like that. And then I was like, well, how do I work these characters into a normal situation? And realizing on top of that, I don't want to do a show with the restrictions we've currently got because we spent all of our money doing a film for three years. Yeah. I'm now sit back in the UK because I can't afford <laughs> to do anything tropical. So I've come back home to the gloom and the fog. Mm -hmm. And I've come back with like, probably, you know, the equivalent of uh, 10 pounds or something like this, like 20 bucks to my name. 
I got to do something that follows up on a feature film that I'll put my hat on, right? <laughs> With nothing, essentially. So I was trying to be clever and I came up with this thought, well, if we do one episode and it hits the reaction that's on social media right now and we say something wrong, because every filmmaker is going through this right now. If you do anything right now, people are going to be hypersensitive. So you can barely not do Batman with violence anymore. Like Batman with violence is going to be like, oh, why, why would you do that? It's so abusive. If mm. Batman gets a, abusive to criminals, they deserve a trial too. Mm. It's going to be so woken soon mm. that we're going to have lost the meaning of everything. Horror films will be woke. Yeah. Well, he only killed you because he's got psychological problems. You know, it's going to be a crazy world we live in. Uh, it, it will never get like that. Fiction is bulletproof. But what I'm saying is when it's documentary or reality or something, you're fearing it. You're fearing that you're going to do one thing and it's tired away from negativity and it's just going to end before it that starts. That was the beginning of like cancel culture. That yeah. Period as and well. we, we were facing, a, and I'll be honest on here, this here's the hundredth episode. I can be as honest as one. We, we were facing a lot of racial slurs for doing a heavily Asian centric film. Mm. We were getting a lot of hatred for doing what we were doing because this is a time where, uh, there was polarization with China, mm -hmm. um, which was only amped up with the whole dubbing of the Wuhan virus, which Trump loved to perpetuate. It's very sad, you know, because anything that's anything that's connected to anything in that ilk is now destroyed, right? That's what the the feeling was coming off doing a feature film. We, we When you make a movie, especially when you're not doing it for profit, you're just doing it for the expression, essentially, the creativity because you're a creative lunatic and you have to do things like that like myself you're not there to be famous you're there to just do film mm -hmm. so it's the way that you think and that's your creative outlet you know yeah. and when people sort of condemn you not for the film itself but for one aspect of it yeah like be it the fact we've got chinese actors or korean actor or you know whatever japanese actors they're focusing on that and they're ruining it for everyone else, mm -hmm. right? And so we faced a wee bit of that in the USA. When we were facing building this up here in the UK, I was like, this is going to be amped up by 700,000. Because every little comment like that stings when you're so raw to it. Yeah, especially when it's uh, so close to your heart. You know? Well, it's three like, years of your life, yeah. man, you know, like, so... This was kind of with trepidation. I'm like, well, how do I make it this bulletproof? And I set the brief, perfect brief. Well, I've got my characters, this RPG thing. No one's going to know that I've done that because I'll bury it and I'll make it a clever trivia that you're now <laughs> hearing for the first time. Um, I'm going to also make a project so nuts you couldn't comment on it even if you wanted to. Because if you tried, everyone else would be like, you're stupid. It's really <laughs> obvious. <laughs> and then the other people are like yeah this is elevated like whatever and then people are going to analyze it rather than critique it mm. because it's so random and it made me laugh i had a giggle it was the first time i giggled about an idea for a long time you know, the last time i'd done it when we were in la with the original one mm. i thought it'd be funny to go into a scientology place and ask for a comic book yeah because i don't read <laughs> stuff like that right um a, a, a ludicrous scenario right and in this case i was thinking what if these guys were demons sent by the devil to research 
everything that's on social media right now, like all of the worries, all the concerns. Mm -hmm. We're all worried about terrorist world domination. North Korea is going to be a war. We're all worried about celebrity gossip, how famous we are, how famous we're not. We're worried about technology because suddenly we could have the Terminator as an actual existence. We're mm -hmm. worried about all of these different things. And I stripped it into six, which was the core of what everyone was worried about in 2017. And I decided to, okay, let's make this Faust. The story of Faust, if you haven't known the story of Faust, because only the five people at Winhangs out <laughs> within libraries, they know it. A lot of us don't. Faust is basically a scholar that obtains the knowledge of everything by selling his soul to the devil. Mm -hmm. That's the story of Faust in a yes. nutshell. There's music about it. I think that's where the phrase Faust selling music. your soul to the devil comes from, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Or just the natural selection of choice that you might have if and should the devil exist. <laughs> you know, maybe it's the thing. But who knows? So Faust is that. It's the original kind of, wasn't there like rumors that um, loads of famous singers like Chuck Berry, John Lennon, all mm. these met the devil and they got massive success because of it. Yeah. It's the actual law, the scholaristic academic law, the, the novel, the, the fiction piece that all of that's based on. I think it's a German story. It makes perfect sense if I take that construct. So the cleverest people in the world are going to go, oh, what's this? This could be interesting. And then be disappointed with the first five minutes. Hence, <laughs> hence the contradiction in terms that Project FIA is, right? It's just anarchy, basically. Mm. It's creative anarchy. And I wanted to use that as a crook so we'd always have a root of improv. Because the two guys, I want folks to know this. If you watch series one right now, the two guys in that show... Not myself, but Shaq and Pete have never done anything in acting. They've never worked as an actor. Their personalities. Shaq wasn't reading a script. He was, no script. he was also processing. So when people feel scripted, there's no script in this show. Mm -hmm. They're not repeating things that were written down. They're trying to keep up with this mad guy here talking to you right now. <laughs> we also had Wee Joe. Wee Joe, who is in episode one at the end. He lives in a bomb shower. That's all I'm going to say. He was just looking for work experience, right? To yes. get through whatever. And he was the most straight-edged guy. He's actually an athlete. He's actually training. He was training for like um, long-distance running competitions and stuff. And he basically came on board because we roped him into it. So everything you're seeing is totally, no one knows what I'm going to say. No one knows what I'm going to set up. So everyone's just dealing with it. And in all of the locations, we don't know what we're walking in. We were hoping we'd get more interaction with people, but people weren't even in the places. <laughs> uh, politics and religion, where we actually went to Worcester, the city of Worcester. And we were looking for people to talk to or, or bring into the show. No one was there. Mm -hmm. It was like everyone had gone. <laughs> And so because we were facing this absence in people, I kind of made the whole thing of a theme of post-apocalyptic kind of something that you'd learn through the series. And all of these ideas were just things that I'd think of there and then. That's the point. We, we get some scenes within five minutes and we're laying them out to have a scene in it. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, you, you're watching something perhaps that you could sort of speculate as it had a lot of time to develop and figure out. What you're actually seeing is stuff that was completely spontaneous in so most cases. So spontaneous that this here producer 
was only told, oh, can you get this kind of location for like, you know, in a couple hours? Yeah, it was literally like, <laughs> I'd be I'd be with you, you, Pete and Shaq would be on location, already filming something. I said, when we need a boat, can you get a boat? Now. Yeah, exactly. Now. It was, that's the setup. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we were dealing with in series one. And somehow I did. Because... I was trying to get excited. I guess my whole thing when making it crazy was I was trying to get really excited by the fact that we had all of this amazing stuff in the UK and no one uses it. Mm. Like it's just not used, right? Like the barge going down the river. The canal. And, yeah, yeah. And, and me saying like, you know, why isn't anyone using that? You see it in Peaky Blinders. Yeah. But you never see in it. Yeah. And this is a thing we still use in Birmingham, mm -hmm. which links us to that show to this day. That's how we get rid of all of our bodies and stuff. We still, that's <laughs> what we do. But, you know, the, the only difference now is they're not driven by horses that drag them across the old uh, canal. Um, we now have motors, thank God, because mm -hmm. they're so cruel, I can't even tell you. But basically, um, that was series one. In a nutshell, it was total experimentation. A brief was to confuse the hell out of everyone. We also had... A budding amateur dramatic guy, James, who worked as a creepy weirdo, mm -hmm. and he, we couldn't get his voice to be um, without accent because he was so regionally locked to Birmingham yes. that we had to dub yours in. Um, <laughs> Very <but>, brummy. <laughs> yeah, but basically, series one was, I think, half the story building world of making a feature film in in not only college where you have to make a brief. But it was also the back burn of doing a movie like Kin, which mm -hmm. is all planned out, all logistics, all extreme filmic, proper filmmaking to so this, which is, well, I've still got a few of those things I can throw at it, a couple of effects here and there and stuff like this. But for the majority of this, it's got to be natural. Mm -hmm. And that was what kind of we meant by reality TV, because the, the, the thing is not real. <laughs> None of it's real, right? But the, the, the way we filmed it was real. Like everything you're seeing is real. Everything that we were dealing with the day was real. Therefore, it still qualifies. Mm -hmm. You know, because reality TV to an American perspective is also heavily suggested, if not written in places. Yeah. Um, or oh, at I least... I never understand that when they have writers well, so it, on a reality Yeah, they've, they've kind of got better with that. But there's, there's a function to it. Like yeah. Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. They've got a programming... Formula formula and i've also got well we can do this as a suggestion this is a thing we can make this happen we can do this thing here and here so you're always going to get a controlled environment and as anyone in reality knows nothing real is controlled mm -hmm. so we did some planning to the point where i had a mad idea for a sketch and so we needed props and we needed setups but everything was real because if we couldn't between, get a boat we'd have to get a shed and if we couldn't get a shed we'd have to get a <laughs> you know a park and you know so everything was kind of reactive filmmaking mm -hmm. which is not advisable no very um, stressful <laughs> and it's also what brings me to season two because when we went to hong kong that was again a heavy heart going there because i've always said to win uh, and letting everyone hear this around the world now that we will end Project FIA back in LA once we've kind of shined it up to the point we feel we can handle doing that story with legitimacy and, mm -hmm. and, and get a really good thing going we will end the whole thing back in Los Angeles Poetic. don't know when that'll be because we've got plans for a few more series yet but 
it will end back there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you'll see hopefully a 30 year, 20 year time lapse since the first one. Yeah. That would be the plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um Series two was a case where I had the option of closing it down and getting back into serious filmmaking or do I continue this spitballing construct of FIO, which is, is it, why the podcast ended for nearly a year because mm. it was a case where I just didn't know where we were going with it. Yeah. Um, we're facing this whole year and in that whole year I, I had this, oh yeah, we'll go to LA and we'll do it. And then I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not satisfied with that. I don't think we're there yet, especially with Pete. I think if Pete turned up in LA, the distractions would be too high for him. He'd actually find unicorns to slay, you know? <laughs> It'd be tough. And Shaq, it, it, I don't think Shaq was too confident with the idea of going to LA, being the fact that... Yeah, it was getting tense because was, Trump was in. Yeah, I think the, the racial tension that is escalated George Floyd was already happening. Yeah. The BLM had started. Yeah. Um, it really was for us financially. We, we didn't do Project FIA to make money. We no. did Project FIA to be counter intuitive to this social media zombie making Mm -hmm. i wanted to do it as a kind of needle off the vinyl moment (laughs) bring some rationality and 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 i'll say this to everyone including the podcast we don't get paid for any of this this Mm -hmm. is an expression a very selfish one we force you all to listen to us and we're having a voice in the internet we don't take a dime for any of this that's not how we operate um we can do things for the folks sponsorship it's our gift such. to the world it really. really is man it's it's a hard thing to say it sounds like you know like if i took this to shark tank or dragons then they'd laugh me out of the room but i don't think art should be something you go into unless you need to create like it's it's your addiction yeah right you shouldn't go into art going oh, i'm gonna get the old mansion and uh, <laughs> super hotel chain and all this stuff from it because you could do anything to be famous really yeah you really could. You could You could even, you know, be the leader of Amazon. He's pretty famous, right? Jeff Bezos. Makes more money than anyone else does. If you're an actor, if you're, if you're an actor or a filmmaker or a writer or a musician or any of this stuff, you should never do it for any other reason than I've got an expression and I can't stop. You have to do it. I you just got to do, do it. it. Just I do wake it. up at three in the morning yep. and I think of a pasta dish. I'm a chef. I wake up at three in the morning, I think of this amazing song. I'm a musician. Sometimes I write poems. That's killed the conversation. But basically, like, an actor should be like someone who, it, almost on the same spectrum as stand-up comedy. Mm. If you're an actor, you, you're doing this for an emotional trigger. A lot of people in the industry are constantly like, oh, actors are all ego. Most actors are nothing to do with ego. The actors I know, the world-class actors, the elites, have gone through every ego-crushing environment you can possibly go through. Mm. They're not at the end of it going, oh, look at me, eyes on me, I'm so fabulous. None of that. They hate that. They proper loathe the attention. Mm. They really do. That's what a pure actor is. Pure actor is someone who I think in normal life can't handle the social pressure. So they create characters. That's what I think. You heard it here first. I can be sensible, right? I just invent a ninja demon from the eighth gate of hell. That's what I do. (laughs) He's my alternative, my avatar, if you will. So 
creativity doesn't have a place in financially looping. What we have to do as creatives, especially Project FIA in a brief for me, is fun. It's got to be fun. Mm. It's got to be fun. It's got to be something that's brainless to a point that anyone can watch, no matter how hard their life is. You can come into this thing on a whim. And if you understand it, good for you, because we don't. But if you do, <laughs> it works, right? Now, series two, I had this epiphany. America, we're not ready for. Where can we go? And I was like, well, Hong Kong would be good, because Hong Kong is kind of like... Our second home, mm -hmm. our home away from home, far away from home. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a place that had, once upon a time, a very thriving and iconic film industry. Yes. The Shaw Brothers films and everything Bruce Lee did out there. Hong to Cinema. Jackie Chan. To mm -hmm. all, Hong Kong had an incredible decade in the 90s for TV and film. Really incredible. There's so much stuff that came out of there that people have seen or seen in showers, you know, it's, it's pretty radical. And it's never had anyone knock on a door and do a lot with the city since. Not really. So I thought, well, we've got this recipe now, series one, where we've created the city as the character. And we're almost FIAing things. Mm -hmm. It's become a kind of label that I have. Like the subject of plumbers has now become FIA'd. Mm because I've done something really ridiculous with it, right? So Hong Kong would be amazing. Can we get audience participation? We don't need to. I don't need that brain anymore. I don't need to go around doing a bow rat thing. It's yeah. been done to death. I just need to be in an environment and let the environment mm. be the prop for the improvised comedy, because yeah. it has to be a prop. You have to have a, 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 a catch. So... You've got to, you, you think differently. And Hong Kong triggers creative thought very quickly. It's an incredibly inspirational very place. Visual. It's the extreme opposite of American culture. It's the extreme opposite of UK culture and European culture. Total opposite. And yet super similar in extremely weird ways. You know, like if you go anywhere continental Europe, you will see in Italy, Spain, Greece, whatever, families massive tables, eating weird times of day, mostly midnight and stuff like this, out in the streets quite often. Hong Kong does the same thing. It's, you know, it's really just a people's culture. The severity of the place and the hardening of Hong Kong people is because of a work ethic and because they work hard. They don't bully each other. It's not a chronic bullying state. There's no banter like that. Everyone's very communal and together. So when you go there and you are from Europe and you're uh, from America and you're not from Asia, it's incredibly daunting because almost everything from the milkman, postman, the, the guy delivering uh, pizza warrants some degree of honor because they're incredibly hardworking and thoughtful folks, really are. There is a, a hugely kind of Latino-European thing about the Cantonese people, very, very similar. And... I was thinking, you know what? This would be radical. So I, I checked in with Pete because Shaq had got a new job and he was busy. Mm. We'd lost our Shaq. And I checked in with Pete and I was like, Pete, what do you reckon? Hong Kong or USA? What do you reckon? And so he was kind of geared up like, oh, I could totally do America. I'm fine with that. And then I'm t I could totally do Hong Kong. I'd love to go there. And so I was like, great. Perpetual Hal. 
<laughs> and then I spent 24 hours thinking about it and could only see something happening in Hong Kong. Couldn't see it happening in LA yet. There's too many variables, right? It was The industry was getting very serious in LA because mm. you'd had the Weinstein thing. Yeah. Everything was everything was getting a bit intense. And if you get this class clown lunatic going there, it could set things off. Because unlike me, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is extremely liberal, very openly liberal. And so a lot of his comedy is based on the, the mass consensus, the people who, if you cross, will pretty much riot. My comedy is totally bipartisan or even hates all politics. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just an anarchist. Yeah. To put anarchy into a place of anarchy, not a good combination. Yeah. So I said, we'll do Hong Kong. And then a week later, the protest started in Hong Kong. Yeah. And it was... I mean, you can't get more anarchy than that anarchy. (laughs) And we just booked our tickets. Everything was now firmed up. Mm -hmm. We moved on it really quickly. And I'm like, oh, my God. Every reason that I can't go to LA is times two billion in Hong Kong. We're seeing a year's worth of footage with riots and protests and not really understanding what we're walking into. It was almost like willingly set in a comedy series, not a film crew that's war journalists. No, a comedy series in a war zone. That's what it was starting to feel like. Mm -hmm. The speculation of going to Hong Kong was scary. So we had a whole year of that kind of anxiety. By the time we actually got there, it's all documented on the podcast. Series one is too, but no one had the, the reasons we were doing stuff until today. That's the 100th episode. Hong Kong, you can relive. All of the episodes are there um basically everything we found it was somewhat true to the ferocity of was somewhat true to what we'd seen in the year build-up but actually being there was a lot more satisfying um because it wasn't as bad as we thought it was still pretty bad but it wasn't unworkable and one thing i will say i noticed there was a huge and it really helped us a huge shift to people talking English. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more people speaking English. A lot of the kids, the young generation, all bright sparks, despite the rhetorics and the, the, the things you might have deduced from the riots. They're actually incredible people, very helpful, very bright, really inspired by what we were doing. We had a little team uh, of all ages. We'd go out filming. We'd have you know, uh, restaurant owners come out and almost clap and support. It, it lasted all the way to Macau. Hong Kong is an incredibly endearing place. It, it remains that, not because of the politics, not because of the structure, because of the Cantonese people. And understand what I'm saying, the Cantonese people, right? If you want to film out there uh, something simple, something that doesn't break and breach uh, other people working in times because it is a city that works of multi-industry, mostly import-export, so it's really working hard. Imagine it being a city called Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that. But it was an incredible, incredible experience. It was sad to see the heart being shifted towards this ultra-political thing. Really hurt seeing that. But I actually think it spurred on better comedy because of it. And we did some really stupid stuff. And I will say most of what I say in that show is compulsively lying. <laughs> um, but the whole irony is that we did the famous in Asia Brandon series too because, you know, it, it, essentially it's 
really an homage to the original series in LA mm -hmm. where we weren't celebrities, but now we've done series one in England, right? Of the rebranded FIA that you've all seen or it's available. We're now famous. So the whole brief is we're now famous. We're complete jackasses. And this is what a celebrity looks like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I also tagged, and it's a more of a simple explanation, Tokyo on the back of Hong Kong. Whilst we're in Asia, might as well use it. It's mm -hmm. all there. It's kind of near. A lot better Ish. than, well, it's a lot better than flying from England. Like London to Tokyo is yeah. a bit of a marathon. Crazy. And having the fact that we'd been in Hong Kong for nearly two months prior to it, it was really helpful. It was like a jump over a six-hour flight, whatever it is, to Tokyo. And... Because Tokyo, I'd gone in there with all the pre-context of it's going to be really alien because everyone says it. There's a whole film about it. It's called Lost in Translation. <laughs> Bill Murray, directed by Sofia Coppola. See, I do know something about film. Well done. Um, yeah, good. Good job. Mm -hmm. um, basically, <laughs> I know how intense they make it seem. And I've only had, at this point, I'd personally never been to Japan. I got family from Japan. I've got tons of colleagues and friends from Japan. I know you've been to Japan, but mm -hmm. you forget last week, so <laughs> I can't rely on you. And I'm aware of differences. I'm aware of the culture through martial arts. I'm yeah. very aware of the culture. But I'm not aware of what it's like boots to ground. Mm. And I was always expecting me to have this kind of 11-year-old Danny in Florida reaction where everything was wow to me when I arrived in Orlando at the age of 11. Mm. I thought I was literally in heaven. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, a guy's cleaning a plane with a rag. Wow. Everything was just wow. <laughs> it's stupid. Donuts are wow here. We have them in England. We've had them for years. Here they're just wow. Pizza's it's better wow. American. Yeah, it's because it was new. It's wow. all it's all the movies as well. Mm. You're living what you've seen in fiction, you know? There's sun here? Yeah, but just like, oh my God, like... The, the hula hoops, like there's honey nut, hula loops and stuff. And there's actual ants in it. Like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. And then you realize, oh, there's ants in my cereal. <laughs> right? And you freak out. Anyway, the whole thing was incredible. The experience, like from Chinese takeaway boxes that are uniquely shaped like they are in the USA. Yeah. Nowhere else but yeah. there. Just, you know, that was my first real thrown into can remember store in memory because I was old enough to remember it. Um, trip to the USA and I was expecting Tokyo to have kind of that kind of feeling for me because it had been a long time coming. I've wanted to go to Japan probably ever since I was the 11 year old kid in Florida, mm. you know, um, Asia means a lot to me through martial arts and through culture and, um, ties to people I've got in both places, family and, and friends and the such. And I'm thinking this would be the greatest opportunity to go to Tokyo. We've got a guy who culturally knows nothing about it. Mm -hmm. We've got a guy who knows culturally too much about it. That is basically a prehistoric samurai guy from 800 years ago. AKA that's me, Rebel by the way. Yeah, that's I. Um, <laughs> and then I've got Winifred who bounces between the two. You've got knowledge. You can speak a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, You've got cheat code. It's called uh, kanji <laughs> that you know from previous <laughs> languages. Um, I know food, I know culture, mostly from playing video games and being, you know, obsessed, Immersed. just obsessed with lifestyle and culture and stuff like this. And no matter what you prepare for, when you land in Tokyo, I had a bit of a wow factor at the airport, got to be honest. It was pretty magnificent airport. There was little things that were like creeping in at the, the idea of Europe. Like 
I think Pete needed to go out and have a cigarette. And so I helped him try and figure out where the hell he did that. We couldn't read. We, we literally become our characters in Asia. Because <laughs> I can't read. I can just look at pictures. And, and Pete will try, but belligerently fail. So it was interesting. And when we got to the foyer bit in, in the airport, where there is actually a place to smoke, it looked like London. And, and the atmosphere was kind of cold. And we'd just come from subtropical Hong Kong. Mm. And for some reason, Asia to me is all subtropical. Your brain yeah. says that. See, it's a lie. Yeah. No. Obviously, it clicks to Siberia and stuff as well. Like, you know. But I'm thinking Tokyo, you know, it's going to be hot. And it hits London temperatures. Yeah. And so everything was like, whoa, that's odd. And I'm there wearing Hong Kong clothes, which is basically a loincloth and a, <laughs> a thing you slap on your head called a flannel. Um yeah, so I'm, I'm noticing that. And then we got onto this train ride. And I guess I was super wrecked as well. We packed and got Pete checked out at a hotel. And we'd done a lot of real life stuff to get to Tokyo. Yep. We'd also come out of one of the peaks of the, the protesting. So it was pretty hostile when we left. We had to queue so long in the airport. Yeah, Everything the security was, yeah, was, ramped it was up. It was all sort of extreme. And any worst trip you've ever had in any country when you've, missed a flight or whatever add kind of probably 50 to that and it's what it felt like in this period mm. uh it was all amped up it was all kind of creepy and weird and we didn't know even if we could get flights because they were actually locking the country down even then before the pandemic um because of the protesting so we got to japan pretty wrecked and then obviously we had the airport trip to where we were staying on a train that seemed to go on for, it's like taking a trip to London. You know, it was like it went on and on and on and on and on. Um, and the awe that I was expecting was probably diminished a lot because I was tired, I'll be honest. But it was also that it was just too familiar. Mm. And I'm almost like everyone's lying to me. This isn't lost in translation. This is spend time in London yeah. or go to Milan or have a look at, you know. And this is, I think, what world travelers get to that point where mm. everything's the I've same. I've seen it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got grass. Oh, mm. yeah, I've seen that before. You know, it's so it was interesting. What I had no idea about. Because when we got to the area, and it's very quaint, and, and you start falling in love with Tokyo gradually. I think if you are not the greatest traveler and you go there, you're going to be terrified, especially if you're a country dude and you go into the literally the world's biggest city. It's going to freak you out. But when you are more urban savvy, travel the world, the similarities, they do bleed into what you're looking for eventually. It's mm. a slow burn. And... I remember getting back to our place and it was quite daunting because you suddenly realize not one of us here knows anything about where we're in. Like we don't know the restaurants to go to. We don't know where the hell to get food at 12 at night. Going in blind. Yeah. And mm. it was a hell of a challenge. Pete was exactly the perfect guy for it mm. because again, undaunted. Like no a fearless, It's like a fearless rhino, that guy. He'll yeah. just go in and do. It, it doesn't matter. And we tagged a few places, got a few bits and bobs of food, and it was quite a quaint night. But the idea of shooting a show out there was extremely daunting, right? Because I probably knew several places that would be worth looking at. And I also knew that Japanese culture dictates you can't film inside shop buildings because it's super disrespectful. 
there's a lot of law and belief as well that goes into the Shinto faith. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like cameras trap souls Soul, yeah. and, and stuff like this. It still exists, yeah. believe it or not. Tokyo, not so much, but it still exists as a thought. So a lot of this stuff is real LA film planning where you need total permission. You've got to um, ring ahead of time, make all the insurance. It's literally like filming in Los Angeles yeah. at the extreme level. So I'm thinking, what can we do and how can we do it? And this is when we had to map the city. Now, I'll tell you this, folks, and this is really the final point about the third series. Mapping Tokyo in the back of your head, if you've gone to Los Angeles, you could go to three areas and probably do a very successful film or whatever because you've got so much stuff to work with. Tokyo is a, it, it's like a 90-mile radius city. It's so enormous that by the time you think you've done anything there, you've barely scratched the surface. So I was just rittling, where's this, where's this, where's this, where's this? And Wynn was fastidiously drawing a map out, whereas Pete was like, oh, okay, I don't know anything I'm doing, so I'll just follow you guys, right? Which is great, it's a good combo. So we had a map drawn out, and you'd send us on the way, and you'd be like, you've got to take this train, then this train, and go on this thing, get off there, and then it's a two-minute walk, and that's how you're producing our navigation around Mm -hmm. Tokyo, right? So we spent a real big chunk in the first week just figuring it out. Yeah, scouting. And then by the time we started even doing a podcast and stuff as as rotation, we'd kind of done a lot of that walking in blindly, you know? So (laughs) it's, um, it's a great kind of feeling that this evolved from a frustrated reaction to Hollywood, which is what Project FIA's origin is. Mm -hmm. A scream of sensibility and logic because we felt totally justified. We felt like we'd done enough work to be in the argument, to knock on a door and have a conversation. At this point, we didn't even have a film company. So the lessons learned in that trip were like, be established as a company and you'll be treated as a company, Mm -hmm. right? Don't just go there as an individual. Because you join the billions, yeah. right? So, hey, you know, that was a learning curve. To come from that humble beginning of total frustration to get to Tokyo and have, you know, three series that are now up on YouTube, all evolving with two guys that i got to be honest, I said this before, but Pete, especially because Shaq is more distant now, he's, he's walking into his own realm, still in contact with him, love him to pieces, mm-hmm. but... I think we terrified him doing series one, to be honest. I, I think he'll... It was not an easy gig. No, and we demanded a lot from him too. Um, and he he really rose. He did. And you're seeing literally a kid that worked in a video store that I dragged in and said, say this and do this and don't even question me, right? <laughs> um, and he was a great sport and he had base talent. There's so much personality in that guy, right? But you're seeing an honest guy, not a professional, right? Pete, same. But Pete's ability to just tag off comedy and he's so fast, it's very cool to look back at all of this. And you can look at the show. We haven't promoted it yet because we've had a world pandemic, um, which has kind of stopped that. But please, if you enjoy the show and you listen to this and you watch the show and you've never watched the show, hopefully this gives you some context to what you're seeing. The Japan series turned out to be the most obnoxious tourist show of all time, <laughs> mostly fueled by 
my anger towards every documentary I've seen from Europe and America that's always like Japan's so confusing. Japan's so, so weird. Yeah. And me being so let down how normal it was. <laughs> I mean, sure, it's got things. Everywhere's got things that are different. Yeah. But there's so much stuff there that says London to me or downtown Los Angeles mm-hmm. to me or New York to me, you know. So we discussed that in a podcast. You got my honest reactions in that. But, oh, man, it, it's all good. And one final thing is, you know, Famous in Asia, it's, it's an evolution. And the characters are evolving and they might go back to their roots and they might evolve past their roots. And we might have what Slipknot does, new uniform, better looking uniform mm. should we make any money or have anyone make masks for us i don't know <laughs> um but basically the third series i never said about the title and that that's to credit sour who's a dear friend of ours who's translated our film kin fallen star and she's worked with us on translations and script work and stuff like this between the years and sour who met with us in Yokohama on the, the final day of filming in Yokohama, which is our popular, I think it's the most popular episode in the Japan series. That yeah. Everyone's seemed obsessed with the fact that it's the final in that series. <laughs> so they're watching the end first, and it's like, dude, watch the whole thing. <laughs> it's telling you a gradual story. Anyway, she came up with the name, which I'm not even going to say. Um, I will say at some point when I got my teeth in, and I've read it, mm-hmm. I've got it near to access, but... She translated it, got the heart of what the show's about, and yeah. it hits the FIA brief. So each series, FIA means something different, mm-hmm. but it has an origin. Go watch Robin Williams live at Broadway for the origin of FIA. And be warned, he swears. <laughs> you get so used to not swearing on this thing. Mm. I'm going to be yelling at squirrels right after this show wraps up, which is now. It's 100 episodes. Wait. Which means a hundred hugs and smiles and our biggest thanks to everyone listening around the world. Thank you. Because you are listening around the world. That's the thing All that's around the world. really humbling. That's really And we cool. appreciate it. Let's do a hundred more. Stay with us. God knows what will happen between here and there. But we will be there to tell you our take on it all for the next hundred episodes and beyond of FI Goes PC. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everyone.